0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emanuelcommunity.org. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> wow, was that loud? Or I, I feel like the sound system is a lot upgrade, you know, or <laughs> the other one actually, it's it sounds like I have this very booming voice. Um, what an awesome privilege it is to be able to come into this building, and uh, what a huge thanks we have to our Savior for uh, opening up that door for us. Um, it's, it's interesting, you know, I, I, I woke up pretty early this morning, and I had this whole routine, you know, as it winds down to our 9.30 service. And as it was getting closer to 9, like, I was getting very skittish, you know, like, it felt like something was wrong because my whole body rhythm was tuned to have service at 9.30. And so I I almost felt like I was sinning or something when I was just still typing away at like 9.30. And so I think it's going to be an interesting adjustment for all of us, whether it's about the service time or coming to a new location. But I think this is an exciting change and one that uh, is really a gift from God, I believe, to be able to be here in this house of worship. And so before I get into the actual message, there are... There is just one announcement I wanted to make in addition to what has already been announced. In our congregational meeting in January, um, we told you that the Elder Board has been actively seeking additional lay elders uh, to add to our Elder Board. And so we're really excited to inform you that we believe we have a very strong candidate uh, for a new lay elder at ICC. Uh, And Lord willing, we are hoping to present this candidate to you for formal nomination within about a month's time. Uh, And what will happen is then after that nomination is presented, uh, we will give you as the congregation uh, a couple of weeks to approach the elders with any questions uh, or concerns that you have regarding that candidate. And then we will hold a ratification vote. Uh, where the official members of ICC will be invited to actually vote on that nomination uh, a little while after that. Okay, And so, uh, as some of you may know, if you've uh, gone through the membership class and all that, or have been here long enough to have gone through some of these ratification votes, uh, any el- elder candidate that's presented to the church for ratification must pass by a greater than 60% a- a vote by the congregation. Um, we're really thankful that actually up to now, every elder we've installed has been ratified by a greater than 90% vote uh, by the congregation. Uh, so for now, we are asking your prayers uh, that God would lead our whole church through this process and that if it is his will, uh, that this candidate will eventually be installed as an elder of ICC. And to let you know, we're not only stopping with one nominee, but we are actually ap- actively trying to pursue other lay elders as well to in my opinion what would really be ideal for ICC is if we actually had uh four lay elders and maybe by having four lay elders we could actually give one lay elder uh, a year's rest at any given time and have the three others active and serving okay so please join us in that prayer request um I'm going to kind of jump into the word, and so before we do, why don't we just bow for another word of prayer, and then we will turn to the message. Father, we are so thankful that throughout the history of ICC, um, despite all the changes that we've experienced and everything that we've been through together as a church family, that we can acknowledge and celebrate the goodness that you've had toward us through every season that we've gone through. And so even by providing us this place as a place of worship for us, that in so many ways meets the needs that we have in the season of ministry, we are just so grateful to you. We pray for your blessings upon our Savior and just ask that uh, you would continue to bless this host church and to do your work and your will through them, even as we invite that work in our lives as well. We pray in the days ahead that we would experience not just the fact that we're under one roof together, but just a beautiful picture of your kingdom as we love one another and partner together for the work of your kingdom as we are brother and sister in Christ. And so we just even want to offer that to you and pray that you would lead us into that vision as we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I thought it would be kind of interesting and fun to look at a little bit of the history of ICC in light of the fact that we have yet again done another relocation. um, It's really felt like at least a semi-nomadic existence that we've had as a church because the truth is in the roughly 11, 12-year history of our church, uh, we've relocated almost every few years. Uh, The first public worship site at ICC was Adolf Link, Elementary school in Elk Grove Village. Just by show of hands, how many of you were around during that time that you actually worshipped in Adolf Link? Okay, that's interesting to see who was there. Um, do you recognize any of these faces here? Um, it's interesting that uh, Dave was actually playing drums today, right? Was he? He was, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, Andy looks so young there, man. He looks <laughs> looks like a like a high school kid. Um, this was our Christmas banquet in the gym in 2009, a couple of years into the church. And then in 2010, we moved to Helen Keller, junior high, in Schaumburg. How many of you worshipped in Helen Keller? Could I see the hands now? All right, some more hands are going up now. Um, at first, we worshipped in the cafeteria there. And uh, as you can see, we used to have trouble getting people to show up to worship on time. Uh, LAUGHTER That hasn't changed through the years, okay? Um, Recognize any of these faces? (laughs) Some of them you may recognize. This was our entire children's ministry on the the time that we moved to Keller, okay? Uh, It was our tradition to relegate the kids into the hallways of wherever we worship. Uh, We eventually outgrew the cafeteria, and we felt like we really made it to the big time when we moved to the gym, you know? And I don't know if any of you remember those banners, but those banners sort of stood as probably one of the most memorable, uh, visible sort of trademarks of ICC. Uh, Even as our children's ministry continued to grow at Keller, uh, the truth is it was still held mostly in the hallways, and it was really difficult. You know, in the summer, the kids would be boiling, so we'd have fans blowing on them as they're sweating, and then in the winter, they'd be freezing to death, and so they would be having Sunday school with their winter coats on. Um, but the adults needed to be comfortable, so <laughs> unfortunately, uh, I, I don't know. I, it, it's, that's not quite how it worked out, but anyway, the, there's no doubt about it. The kids sort of got the, the, the raw end of the deal. Um, and then in 2016, uh, we crossed the Jordan River <laughs> and moved all the way up here to Wheeling, Uh, to Northfield Presbyterian Church. Uh, At first, you know, the sanctuary felt so large. Um, And I remember that feeling. It it almost felt a little deflating, you know, because it seemed like it accentuated how small our church was by how few seats we actually filled in there. It really felt like every family could have their own row in there if they wanted to. Uh, But during those almost three years at MPC, by God's grace, we did see the adult and the children's ministries uh, continue to grow, and that growth is what ultimately ended up leading us to seek for a new location beyond NPC. And so this year we have moved once again, and God has provided us with this wonderful place uh, in just the right season for our church. And I've already been hearing a lot of positive feedback. I've been kind of polling around and saying, "Well, what do you guys think of of the new building?" and and pretty much categorically, everyone that I've talked with has been saying how much they love the new building and how, how, how many wonderful spaces there are here for the different ministries of our church. And so uh, it's just been uh, a really great thing to see and witness God's faithfulness to our church over these years. Um, but I also want to say this, is that As encouraging as it has been to see how God has been growing our church, uh, the the honest truth is that we've also experienced uh, seasons of difficulty and pain throughout this journey, haven't we? Uh, The truth is many of the faces in the photographs that I just showed you are no longer with us. Um, They're not part of our church family. And the truth is some of them have left, uh, because of circumstances beyond their own control. But we also know others have left by their own choice, and, and none of these goodbyes have been easy for us. Many of them have brought, uh, in fact, a lot of pain and heartache. And in light of the fact that this year, once again, we have uprooted our church family and relocated to yet again another building... Um, I thought it would be helpful for us to do a brief series. It's only going to last three messages long until we get to the retreat that I'm calling Homesick. Homesick. Um, I want to sort of unpack uh, some of the themes that we find in Scripture through the lens of home, this idea of home, what home represents for us. When I was a kid, My favorite days of school were when the Scholastic Book Club flyer came out. Okay? I kid you not. Okay? I counted the days until that flyer came out. Uh, We didn't have a lot of money when when I was a kid. And so the truth is, just about any time we asked for a toy or something like that, my mom would generally say no. But the one thing that she was willing to spend money on for us was books, okay? And so whenever these scholastic flyers came out, my mom and I kind of had this deal. She would actually let us order books from them. And the deal was she would always order a couple books that she thought would be educational and good for us, and then she allowed us to pick a couple titles that we wanted, no judgment, no questions asked. We got to order anything we wanted. And what was funny about that is that whenever I chose the titles, I always gravitated to these books about little puppies and little kittens that somehow got lost and were trying to find their way home. I don't know why. Because even at that age, I knew these books were trash, you know? Like, they were not well written. There was nothing redeeming about them. But for some reason... Anytime, I would always read those little blurbs, you know, that describe the book. And if there was ever a journey about a person or an animal trying to find their way home, I would order it. And of all of these types of books about these journeys, my favorite by far was Stuart Little by E.B. White. And if you guys have read that book, you know that it's the story of a mouse that befriends a bird named Margalo. And after a really joyful friendship, eventually becomes discovered that a cat has plotted to eat Margalo. And so fearing for her life, Margalo flies away in the middle of the night and leaves Stuart Little. And basically the whole book is about this journey of this mouse named Stuart Little who seeks her, his lost friend, Margalo. But wherever he searches, he cannot find her anywhere. And then you get to the very last page of the book, and it ends with these words. As he peered ahead into the great land that stretched before him, the way seemed long, but the sky was bright, and he somehow felt he was headed in the right direction. you don't end children's books like this. You know? <laughs> You're know. you supposed to tie everything nicely with a bow and happily ever after it. It's hard to describe the intense ache I felt in my heart when I read this as the last page of the book, to discover that the story ends unresolved, and we're never sure if he ever finds Margalo. I would actually reread Stuart Little over and over again in a crazy way, thinking that he might finally find Margalo if I read it for the 20th time. Does he ever find her? Will their friendship ever be rekindled? And I, I wondered, why did this affect me so much as a child? Why did it get so deeply into my soul, this search for a friend? You know, the Welsh have this interesting term called hiraeth, And this is what hiraeth means. It is a homesickness for a home to which you cannot return. A home which may ne- maybe never was. The nostalgia, the yearning, the grief for the lost places of your past. It's a, it's a beautiful term. And I want to ask you, do you understand the feeling that they're talking about here of a nostalgia for a home that you can never go to and maybe never was, in fact? And yet, nevertheless, there is this longing, an intense longing for that home. There's many ways that I've experienced that in my life. I remember... A few years back, I heard this old Korean folk song, and I I never listened to Korean music. I don't don't listen to K-pop. I don't watch Korean drama. Uh, I am as white as they come when it comes to Asians, I think. And yet, I heard this Korean folk song uh, from decades earlier, and it produced in me this weird nostalgia for a childhood in Korea that I never had, you know? (laughs) And I could not understand why I was crying as I was listening to this song. But it made me yearn for my homeland in a way that I had never experienced before. The Welsh, like so many other cultures, have identified a longing for something we call home that is so deep and so profound that it may be a place that, we can, ne- that can actually never be found. But it is that place where we feel totally safe, totally accepted, totally loved. Melissa Cox says, I am homesick for a place I am not sure even exists, one where my heart is full, my body loved, and my soul understood. The average American will move almost 12 times in the course of their life. I am 50 years old, and I've already moved 15 times, not including my college years and some briefer stints that I had when I was very little. I have already known 15 different homes in my lifetime. In an unpredictable world where so much of life feels rootless, we long for a place where we can put down roots, a place we can truly call home. And so throughout this series, I want to explore what the Bible has to say about this longing in every human heart for a place called home and how God answers that longing. And the first place I want to start is by making this declaration. In His love, God longs to make a home for us. In His love, God longs to make a home for us. The Bible begins with God creating a garden for Adam and Eve, the first man and woman. It is a place of breathtaking beauty and abundance, and it is filled with everything good that they would need to experience a life of flourishing. Genesis chapter 1, 29 to 31 says, Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that is fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food Old Testament commentators make special note that when he keeps repeating that it was good, it is almost always in the context of how this was providing for Adam and Eve. And so the argument is that the reason why God saw this as so good was it was like creation was his gift to us. And as he saw this amazing, nurturing environment that he was giving to us, God looked at that and said, this is good. This is a place that we could truly call home. For the people that I love. And so in the garden, Adam and Eve lacked nothing because God provided them with everything that they needed. And then we're given this one detail about this life in the garden that Adam and Eve experienced. In Genesis 2 25, it says, And Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They were naked and felt no shame. And what I would argue is this that this gets to the essence, the heart of what we mean when we call a place home. In other words, in a world where we are constantly managing our image in order to fit in with everybody else and be accepted, home is a place, hopefully, in the best expression of it, where we could be fully naked, fully exposed, fully known, and yet, No fear of rejection, no fear of shame. In other words, what I can say is this, is that the longing for home is the longing to be fully known and yet fully accepted. The truth is this, as your pastor, you only know me through a very narrow lens of Sunday mornings for most of you. And this is me at my best. This is me after I've showered and done my hair and dressed in the best clothing I have in my closet and when I'm on my best behavior. The truth is, I don't always look this good, you know? (laughs) I'm sorry, right? Um, But Betty knows the full me. She knows me in the morning when my face is oily and I have bedhead and morning breath and when I walk around in our bedroom with just my boxers on and make no effort to suck in my gut (laughs) like I have to do for a couple hours every Sunday. She knows me when I have a bad day and I don't really feel like trying. She knows me when I don't live out what I preach, when I don't feel like being a good husband or a good father or, frankly, even a good Christian sometimes. And yet after all of this, she hasn't left me. Not yet anyway. (laughs) And this is home. This is home. This doesn't mean that home is a place where I get to act as badly as I want with impunity and there's no repercussions. That's not what I'm saying. But it does mean that in my weakness, even when I fail and fall short, I have a safe place that I can call home where I know I am unconditionally loved and accepted. Cheryl Mendelson Scribner says this, This sense of being at home is important to everyone's well-being. If you do not get enough of it, your happiness, resilience, energy, humor, and courage will decrease. Being at home feels safe. You have a sense of relief when you come home and close the door behind you. Home is the one place in the world where you belong. Coming home is your major restorative in life. These are formidable good things which you cannot get merely by finding true love or getting married or having children or landing the best job in the world or even by moving into the house of your dreams. A house is not a home. Just yet, is it? And that is God's desire for us to provide a place of rest and nourishment and acceptance and love. Unfortunately, the paradise of the garden didn't last very long. The serpent convinces Adam and Eve that God cannot be trusted, and so they eat the forbidden tree of knowledge of good and evil. And as they eat that fruit, their thinking is that God is withholding something good from us. And so turning against God, they ate that forbidden fruit. And in so doing, they realized they had made the most horrible mistake of their lives. And for the first time in their life, they felt the sting of shame and guilt because of their sin. And in that shame, they attempted to cover their nakedness before each other and before God. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 to 13, records what happened next. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. I love that picture (laughs) of Adam throwing his wife under the bus. What this story in Genesis tells us is this. In this way, sin thwarts our deepest hopes of home as a safe place of acceptance and love. Instead of nakedness and honesty, there is now hiding and covering up. Instead of loving and protecting one another, there is blame shifting and accusing one another. Neither Adam nor Eve as a consequence of their sin can own up to what they've done and deal honestly with their sin. You see, Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden for sure. But in their struggle to experience the joy and security of the garden that they once knew, that struggle is much deeper than a matter of geography. It is the sin within their own hearts that will drive them away from home and keep them from experiencing the security and the peace that they long for. Uh, in an article in the Atlantic magazine, uh, Sandra Sing Lo uh, shares about the deep emotions that were stirred in her when she opened her refrigerator one day. Uh, Sing Lo had confessed publicly to having had an affair in her marriage, and as a result of that affair, ended up in divorce and was then raising her kids by herself as a single mom and as a professional. And this is what she confesses in this essay. Day by day in our frenetic, chaotic, modern homes, how many of us become inexplicably unglued, suddenly losing our equilibrium in a disproportionate veil of anguish as we open our refrigerator door And what is that moisture on our left foot is in? (laughs) Is it a puddle from the malfunctioning ice maker? And confront the spillage from the leaking Ziploc bag or the microwave-deformed Gladware that forever will not close. On the one hand, these are a simple technical malfunction. On the other, they are another small but precise omen pointing to a world without the deep domestic comforts and cares and arts Not of our mothers, many of whom were in a transitional leave home to go to work generation, but of our grandmothers, who still ruled the home with absolute power. No one is taking care of us. No one. And that is not a small thing. Sing Lo finds herself in this rather interesting dilemma. As a feminist... She has no desire or intention to return to what she considers the dark days of those domestic roles that were expected of her grandmother. And yet, at the same time, although she rejects that history, there is something deep inside her that longs for the kind of warm and comforting home that her grandmother was actually able to create for her family when she was growing up as a child. And so as a middle-aged woman, the child inside of her cries out, Who is taking care of me? Who is looking after me like my grandmother once did? And I think this same struggle echoes in every home. Each of us desperately longing for the comfort and security of a place that we want to call home. And yet the truth is this, none of us are knowing or even being willing to do what is needed to experience that home. I think that is why at the deepest level, the homesickness that we feel for this home that we long for is one that we may have never actually experienced in our life. In other words, our longing for home is a longing for a place that never actually was, a place that that we've never truly known. I want to ask you that this morning, this afternoon. Was the home that you grew up in a place of unconditional love and acceptance? How about the home that you're building now? Is that such a place? You see, what the Bible tells us is that our struggle to find home is to struggle against not necessarily looking for a place, but the sin in our own hearts that undermines our ability to enjoy the experience of home. All of our collective brokenness and sin resulting in us hurting one another, abusing one another, accusing one another. And somewhere in that is our collective cry that says, who is taking care of me? Who is there for me? Where is home for me? Well, I want to end with this. God does something really remarkable in response to adam and eve's sin he had every right to condemn them and punish them and send them forever out of his presence but instead he responds with a great act of mercy in genesis chapter 3 verse 21 it says the lord god made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and clothe them. And in so doing this, God would actually be the first to kill in his creation in order to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve and their shame. And that death that was required to cover that shame points ahead, foreshadows, cross of Christ, who had come to pay the penalty of our guilt and our shame by being crucified and taking on that pain on himself. What I'm saying here is this. All of us long for something that we can call home, a place where we feel fully accepted, fully loved unconditionally so. And whether you realize it or not, the first steps to that journey of finding home is to find your way back to God, who alone can restore the deepest needs of your life. Whatever marriage troubles that you're having right now, whatever struggles that you're having with loneliness, friendships, work relationships, whatever are the things that haunt you at night and make you long with a homesickness for a better place. What the Bible tells us is this, that only when we are first reconciled with God can we experience the healing that we long for in every other area of our life. That is the promise of God, is that through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, God can heal your brokenness and make you whole and enable you to be the kind of person through that transformation of the Holy Spirit that can truly experience the joy and the peace of a place that you can call home. And then the next two messages, I'm going to unpack that a bit and show you some different angles of what that looks like. But for today, I just want us to dwell there in that place. What? Does it mean this homesickness that I feel in my heart? What does this mean, this aching and this longing for a better place when I see the brokenness of my own family and the struggles that I see in my attempts to seek intimacy and acceptance? And I think what the gospel says is that it has to begin at the cross of Jesus Christ. When we realize that the first steps to the healing that God wants to bring in our life has to come before the cross of Christ when we acknowledge our sin and seek His forgiveness and are restored to Him first through Him, the giver of all life, the one who can truly change our souls, we can experience that healing in all of our other relationships in our life. Let's pray. Let me just invite you to just spend a couple moments in prayer And I I just would invite you to reflect on this idea of homesickness. And I want to invite you as well to think about maybe your own past and what that past represents for you. Maybe the truth is as a child, you too had certain longings in your heart for the idealized vision of what you always dreamt home could be. But maybe the truth is you struggled because your parents really weren't always there for you. They were lost in their own struggles. I don't know. I've done enough pastoral counseling to know that many of us come from pretty broken homes, broken families. And I think out of that results a certain aching, a longing for something better, a better country, a better place. And I think a great word to describe that better place that we're all looking for is home. Where can I be fully known? and yet fully accepted and fully loved. And what the gospel tells us is that that journey begins at the foot of the cross where God slayed His own Son for your sins and mine so that we could have peace with Him. And it is that peace with God through which every other peace can flow in our life. So can I just invite you to just spend a couple minutes in prayer and turn to the Lord and say, God, Give me that faith, give me that belief, that understanding to realize that you are the solution to my every problem, that every need, every ache, every longing in my heart can be satisfied by you and you alone. So rather than running away from you, let me run to you and to the love that you offer freely because of what your son Jesus Christ did for me. We just pray that for a few minutes and our worship team will come to lead us in a time of response.